Welcome to the National Trust podcast. I'm James Grasby, and I'm a curator with the National Trust with a portfolio of houses in Herefordshire and Worcestershire. And the daily life of a curator is looking after things as diverse as library ladders and portraits. These places are knowledgeable witnesses, if you like, to things that have been seen and heard by them. And in this group of podcasts, we'll be delving into the stories, plays, books and characters that make each of these places so special. So join me on this journey and immerse yourself in the wonders of the National Trust. I wandered lonely as a cloud that floats on high o'er vales and hills, when all at once I saw a crowd, a host of golden daffodils, beside the lake, beneath the trees, fluttering and dancing in the breeze. That was the opening verse of one of the nation's favourite poems, I Wandered Lonely as a Cloud, written by William Wordsworth and read by Peter Colquitt, a volunteer tour guide with the National Trust. The poem describes a gorgeous scene in the Lake District, where I am now. I've just come through the streets of Grasmere, a small Cumbrian town where Wordsworth lived and wrote... Wordsworth described the place as the loveliest spot that man hath ever found. Wordsworth lived in a number of houses in the Cumbria area, but in this episode we'll be exploring the two now managed by the National Trust, Wordsworth House, where he grew up, and Allen Bank, where he lived with family and friends. But before we start exploring, I'm meeting Jeff Cowton. I'm hoping to learn a bit more about Wordsworth's life and writing. Wordsworth, living to be 80, about 70 of those 80 years, he would think of the Lake District as his home. And from the very early days of being a a child in Cockermouth, where he tells us later that the sound of the River Derwent was one of his earliest natural influences, he tells us later these were the great influences on his life. Nature was his teacher, and it was in the Lake District that these early formative experiences took place. Fair seed time had my soul, and I grew up fostered alike by beauty and by fear, much favoured in my birthplace. He thought that the world of nature was the great natural order of things. From nature doth emotion come, and moods of calmness equally are nature's gift. This is her glory. He was incredibly popular, unimaginably popular to us now. People would come to the house, they would call to meet him, they would ask for a tour of the garden. He appeared in the guidebooks, you know, suggesting, well, you might like to knock and meet Mr Wordsworth and he might show you around. So he was very, very much a pop star. At the peak of Wordsworth's creative career, he was living in the small and picturesque cottage known as Dove Cottage. But his family was growing, and the Wordsworths were running out of room to host their literary guests. And looking out from the small window of Dove Cottage, Wordsworth spied a large white house being built across the valley. He actually described the house as a temple of abomination. But soon enough, he would be living there.
I'm very pleased to be getting closer to um, the abomination that Wordsworth described. It's really very handsome house. I don't know what Wordsworth was complaining about. It's a crisp Georgian stucco house on a beautiful mound looking down over the lake. Um, we're just coming up to the back door, and thank goodness I'll get out of the rain. Let's see who's here. Hello. Hello. Elaine, how do you do? I'm James Grasby. I'm uh, Elaine Taylor. I'm Membership and Visitor Welcome Manager for Allen Bank in Grasmere. So who did Wordsworth move here with? One of the reasons to choose Allen Bank, their friend Samuel Taylor Coleridge had insisted on living with the Wordsworths, let's put it that way, and it would have been impossible at Dove Cottage. So they moved here. There would have been William, his wife Mary. They'd already had three children by then, John, Dora and Thomas by 1806, so Dove Cottage was full. They had three servants. They went on to have Catherine by September 1808 and Willie Jr. by 1810. So they would have had Coleridge's Sons, they came here at weekends. Sarah Coleridge came here as well with her mum. Various other house guests from time to time. So in a house with six bedrooms, there could be up to 13 to 15 people, certainly at weekends. My goodness, imagine breakfast time. (laughs) (laughs) They lived here for three years, and they were turbulent times. Certainly, yes, Wurzel's reputation wasn't in the ascendant. He'd moved here to look after and accommodate his friend, Samuel Taylor Coleridge. Coleridge was meant to be working on a weekly magazine called The Friend. But for the most part, Coleridge's increasing addiction to alcohol and opiates was causing great problems for the Wordsworths. He would stay in bed all day. He wouldn't go out walking in the sunshine. He would either be a chatterbox at mealtimes or say nothing at all. He was becoming, you know, really strongly addicted to opiates on a heroic scale. Well, the friendship broke up in 1810, was never fully sort of rectified. So why did Wordsworth leave Allen Bank? By 1811, it was becoming absolutely impossible for them to live here. The fires, the the chimneys smoked so badly. They had chimney doctors in to try and rectify the problem. Nothing would work. Their living conditions were so poor. It was very cold. It was very damp. The circumstances were so straightened that they had to move out. By 1812, unfortunately, Catherine, who'd been born here, and Thomas, who was her brother three years older, both died. So Alan Bank is the only house where all five children were together. By 1813, Wordsworth was looking to move again. I think they would have had a clear view of the children's graves at St Oswald's Church, and so it was very difficult for them. So they moved to Rydal Mount in 1813, and he lives at Rydal until his death. It's said that some of Wordsworth's best work was in fact published after his death. The prelude only hit the printing press in 1850, three months after Wordsworth's death. Was it for this that one, the fairest of all rivers, loved to blend his murmurs with my nurse's song, and from his elder shades and rocky falls, and from his fords and shallows, sent a voice that flowed along my dreams? For this didst thou, O Derwent, winding among grassy homes, when I was looking on a babe in arms, make ceaseless music, that composed my thoughts to more than infant softness, giving me 
amid the fretful dwellings of mankind, a foretaste, a dim earnest, of the calm that nature breathes among the hills and groves. Having heard those beautiful words from the prelude, I'm making a short journey north to the pretty town of Cockermouth, where Wordsworth spent his childhood, to hear those river murmurs for myself. That was the noise of going through a torrential puddle. The rain is pouring down on our journey to Cockermouth, to William Wordsworth's birthplace. We're travelling through the heart of the Lake District. Cockermouth is uh, about 18 miles northwest of Grasmere, and the landscape here is quite sensational. I mean, one can hardly see the tops of the mountains that rise very steeply to either side. Lone, rather desolate and bleak-looking pine trees and leafless ash. We've just come off the main street in Cockermouth, down a side street into the side entrance of Wordsworth's birthplace. Uh, a very warm coloured stone building coming to a green door. I'm going to see who's here. We just, I'm just going to go in. Let's wander through. This looks very much like the outworks of rather a grand house. I mean, it's a substantial building. I'm meeting Alex Morgan. She's the interpretation manager in the house, and hopefully she can shed some more light on the Wordsworth's childhood. How do you do? It's lovely to meet you. I'm bowled over by this beautiful house, a building of, of some grandeur, really, isn't it? But the reason the Wordsworth family were here is not because they were tremendously wealthy. And I think if people come in thinking that, it can give a very misleading impression of William's background. But in fact, the Wordsworth lived here because this house is... It was a perk of William's father, John's, job. He worked as agent for Sir James Lowther. And James Lowther was the biggest bigwig around. He was the wealthiest, most important man in the area. He owned all the coal mines out on the coast. He controlled all the parliamentary seats. He was everyone's landlord, basically. And John Wordsworth, as a young go-getting lawyer, got the job, and he got use of this house as part of that. So that's why the Wordsworths fetched up here. They couldn't have ever afforded the likes of this in any other way. How did the Wordsworths live here? It was effectively a sort of a corporate entertainment venue as much as a family home. The Wordsworths were expected to entertain here. So I certainly think that William and Dorothy and their brothers as small children would not have been having free reign within the house. They would have been in the more day-to-day -day rooms, the family parlour, the kitchen with the maid and sort of staying out of the way and basically roaming the countryside probably to keep out from under people's feet as well. So let's have a, a walk around, shall we? We'll start with the former dining room, which is just here. There we go. That's a little bit better, a bit of light, such as it is. An elegant cornice, a very handsome chimney piece. I mean, this is the height of luxury, isn't it? It really is, but this <laughs> would have been a room for special occasions only. Dinner parties, Christmas, that sort of thing the children would certainly not have been welcome in here. And the furniture and pictures, none of the material is Wordsworth. There is really next to nothing. Because it was a tied cottage, because the parents died young and the children were sent away, other people moved in here. The Wordsworth's possessions had to be sold off to help support the children. 
Early died my honoured mother, she who was the heart and hinge of all our learnings and our loves. After William's mother died, their father really couldn't cope with such a large, young family. So poor little Dorothy, just aged about six years old, was packed off to relatives that she'd never met in Halifax. It must have felt like going to the moon. It was so far away. And William and his brother Richard, his older brother, went down to Hawkshead, where they became boarders with a, a local family down there, and they went to the grammar school in Hawkshead. And because of this, William and Dorothy didn't see each other for such a long time, for years and years. Basically, as a result of the loss of their mother, the whole family was sort of flung in opposite directions. And that happy life here came to an end, but the influence of the time here never left any of them. So here we are on the landing of the stairs. I've just opened the blind and you can see through this massive great big window the vista of the garden in front of us and also the Derwent, the river flowing just behind there, you can see. When, having left his mountains, to the towers of Cockermouth that beauteous river came, behind my father's house he passed, close by, along the margin of our terrace walk, he was a playmate whom we dearly loved. This was the fairest of all rivers, as William described it. And in his memory, it is this wonderful place to, to swim and fish and, and play. Oh, pleasant, pleasant were the days, the time when in our childish plays, my sister Emmeline and I together chased the butterfly. In reality, though, in those days, it was an open sewer. It probably... It wasn't actually that nice. But that, that's the wonder of, of memory and hindsight. It makes everything absolutely idyllic. But this was the place that this great love of nature comes from, and the first steps into that were this garden. And this walled garden is where he and Dorothy spent their very happiest young years. John and Anne Wordsworth do seem to have been very unusual parents for the time. We think it's highly possible that John and Anne had read the works of Rousseau, the philosopher, who was very fashionable among young adults at the time. And he did say that children should be outside, they should be free, they should be in nature. This is how you get them to develop properly, give them freedom to, to grow into the people that they need to be. But that was unusual and very radical. So maybe that was the influence, that was the reason they were given so much freedom. So we've had a look round the house. Now we're going to take a walk down the garden because really, from William's perspective, this is the important place. Being a romantic poet wasn't for sissies, my goodness. It is pouring with rain, but it is a soft romantic rain. We do think that in Wordsworth's time, it would have been a working garden. Yeah. It wouldn't have been laid out with lawns, for instance. It would have been, we're pretty certain, as we have it now, a very much a working garden that produces the fruit, vegetables, 
edible flowers, herbs that they would have used in the house. So it's, la it's laid out symmetrically. We've got one, two, three, four columns, if you like, of beds. These um, small, they look like fruit trees to me. But They're apple trees, apple trees, yes, and some really rare heritage varieties of trees that we have here, and we get absolutely glorious crop of apples from them. They're largely cooking apples, yeah. because in William's time, if you were eating fruit, you would largely be eating it cooked. Right. That was seen as, as a sort of a, a safer way to eat it, because fruit was something that people were rather alarmed by. Um, it was seen as rather dangerous food that could make you ill. So everything in the garden is a heritage variety. The particular varieties that are here are things we think that William and Dorothy would have recognised. We don't have anything modern. And by the sound of it, the river just over the other side of this wall is in full spate. <laughs> it's the Derwent, is it? It is. It is the Derwent, William's there. fairest of all rivers. Well, it's been an astonishing day. What I've learnt and discovered, which has been revelatory for me, really, is to now think of Wordsworth in a much more three-dimensional way, that up to now I felt his contribution and my knowledge of Wordsworth were just a few pieces of his poetry, but I can now see the origins, really, of his genius, have been very drawn in and taken by this absolutely beautiful part of the country and realise that he was not just a great national figure but a real man with real emotions and a family like the rest of us. And what is visiting these places has triggered in my mind of what, what are those things that we all need in order to flourish. And I think what it comes down to, particularly in Wordsworth's story, are those hardy perennial ideas of love, of nurture, of care, of parenting, of the friends that you meet, the way that you conduct yourself. All these things have very much come through, not only in the story of his life, but in the literary works that he produced. I'm going to go away and start reading more Wordsworth. Thanks for listening to this episode of the National Trust podcast. For more information about Wordsworth House and Allen Bank, you can visit their websites at nationaltrust.org.uk forward slash Wordsworth House and nationaltrust.org.uk forward slash Allen Bank. In the next episode, I'll be exploring the Devonshire retreat of one of England's most celebrated detective writers, Agatha Christie. That episode will be available in a couple of weeks, but there will be a mini-episode available next week where we'll be hearing more about how visitors can transport themselves back in time at Wordsworth House. To make sure you never miss another episode, subscribe on iTunes or your chosen podcast app. And please do let us know what you thought of this episode on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. You can also email us at podcasts at nationaltrust.org.uk. Until the next time, from me, James Grasby, goodbye.